welcome to the After Hours Podcast presented by People's United Bank. It is a beautiful Friday in Boston. New England is just looking gorgeous right now. Spooky season, October. And we have a uh, lot of stuff to talk about today. we got Courtney Cox filling in for Emerson Latvia. Courtney, we appreciate you as always. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. As soon as uh, Emerson needed a sub, you know I'm going to jump in for him. Uh, he's playing in a golf tournament today for John Martin. Uh, and it, Yeah, and uh, it is just really beautiful out. Like you said, spooky season is upon us. Libra season. I'm a Libra. If you want to write down my birthday two weeks from now, Celie, that would be important. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, like you said, lots to talk about today. Two topics. We got two guests on. Uh, we're obviously going to talk Pats Broncos and then all things Bruins draft, right? That's yeah. what everybody wants to talk about right now. The draft free agency, which is opening up here in New England in just a few hours. So that's I know, like an hour and a half uh, from this point of us recording this podcast, a lot of stuff is going to go down. They're expected to make a lot of moves, um, expected to lose some guys as well. Uh, we'll get into that in a bit, but first let's go ahead and tackle this uh, week five game between the Broncos and the Patriots. And one of the guests that we have is a guy that I used to work alongside in Denver, Colorado, Nick Cosminer of The Athletic, covers the Broncos. Nick, how we doing in the Mile High City? Doing great. Beautiful day out here too. And it's it's awesome to be back with you. Yeah, yeah, good to see you. Um, uh, quickly, the update on this game getting pushed back from Sunday to Monday. So for the second week in a row, we are getting a double header on Monday night football. Were you surprised by this move at all by the league to push it back 24 hours? Um, mostly not. Um, you know, I think as soon as Stefan Gilmore had his positive test announced, I think that was uh, a thought that people here in Denver had that this game could potentially get delayed. It is interesting when you look at it though, because I think news broke of Cam Newton's positive test on Saturday morning, but I believe he tested positive Friday night. Is that correct? That is correct. That's so, when he took his test, yes. Yeah, and so the, the, the delay there for 24 hours to, to have the game on Monday, um, that's still less time from Friday to Monday than um, Gilmore's test to Sunday. So they still theoretically had more time to, to still play the game on Sunday. But I think with everything else that's going on in the NFL right now, uh, you know, particularly you look at the Titans. I saw that the Jets just had a presumptive positive test pop up this morning. Yep, I just think the morning. league is exercising even more caution than perhaps they already were. Uh, obviously, good news that as we record this, saw that the Patriots had no positive test this morning. So it looks like we're on track for for Monday night. Players for the, the Broncos expressed some frustration, you know, on Twitter talking about how, you know, we, we, we followed all the rules. We doing all the stuff we're supposed to do and we get hit with a short week. Um, but look, we, I mean, obviously it seems like with the Titans, there were, there was some pretty serious, uh, violations of the rules. We don't know that to be the case here, uh, with the Patriots, especially when we're looking at just a couple, a uh, couple different examples. So you, you, you certainly empathize with, with the players, uh, here in Denver, like understanding that, Hey, now we have a shorter week, but we always knew this season was going to be wonky and, and we're seeing it now in week five. Well, Nick, you bring up the players talking out against the decision, but you talk about putting a team all on a plane. The Pats had to come back from Kansas City altogether. So how does the league make this type of decision? How do they decide, okay, we're just going to push it one day out instead of kind of rescheduling down the line? Yeah, it's it's been interesting because it doesn't necessarily th seem like there's 
a completely uniform way that they've that they've assessed that kind of decision. Um, you know, they they obviously pushed back the game 24 hours last week, as you guys very well know. Um, you know, we've already seen that a, a couple times, but I, I think it ultimately just comes down to saying, hey, we need another round of tests to feel good about about going into this. Um, and that's just sort of again what what they've tried to do. They have these these protocols in place, but the thing that we're starting to see is that you know, rescheduling the games is going to get really, really tricky because there's not, at this point, there hasn't been an extra week built into the back end of the schedule. And you already saw with, with Pittsburgh and Tennessee, like the Steelers are now looking at, you know, 13 straight weeks of playing. And, and that was not what they had envisioned at the start of the year. And, and that changes things. So uh, until the NFL just says, listen, we either going to pause this to get everybody back level, or we're going to add another week at the end of the season so that we can, you know, just reschedule games as opposed to, you know, pushing them back to, you know, 24 or 48 hours, whatever the case might be, then I think you're going to continue to probably see situations like we've got uh, with this game. At, at this point, I feel like we're kind of waiting for another domino to fall. It just feels like that every day when you wake up and you open your Twitter and you see what Adam Schefter is reporting on how many positives or, you know, has there been any positives and just feel like every single day we're constantly doing that. Um, do you believe that we're going to get a full season in at this point with everything that's happened just five weeks in, into the season? Well, I will say you guys are lucky that, that Schefter reports from the East Coast. And so here I am like waking up at like six o'clock and I'm already behind, like, you know, trying to have my coffee and rub the sleep out of my eyes and be like, holy crap, I got to start reporting already this morning. Um, you know, it, it's no love for us mountain, mountain time zone, West coast time it's zone. It's tough out there. I remember It's, it's tough out here. Uh, but no, I look, I, I think when the NFL made the decision not to go in a bubble, which, you know, our Lindsay Jones wrote today was never a serious consideration simply because of the size of the league. Yeah. There's just too many people, um, not enough. I mean, I'm sure they could have found places where they where there have was enough, the money. We they know have that. the money. And I'm sure they could have found enough places where there was enough fields. Um, certainly probably not in NFL stadium type of way that, that we see now. But, you know, again, th this was something where they, they knew they knew that there was going to be issues because their population was living within the greater American population, which is still experiencing rapid spread of this disease. And so I they, they, they planned for this and, and really said, hey, we have to, if we're going to follow all the protocols, if we create the protocols that even when these tests do pop up, we can stop the spread of the virus. And it's dependent upon people following the protocol. So to answer your question about whether we're going to full season, it really just does depend on, you know, how, how strictly, you know, players and, and personnel are going to, are going to take it. And, you know, uh, they're, they're being asked a lot of things that are, are, are major sacrifices just to get the season in. And we, and we all understand that, but it's ultimately going to come down to that. I think. I also find it interesting. What if it's not a season that we thought we were going to see player wise, obviously we came into things and people were opting out of the season, but then we've stayed pretty on, on course, I would say with the players that decided to stay and play. But now as players are testing positive, like Pat Mahomes, Patrick, sorry, Patrick Mahomes is <laughs> a, like a great example for that. He has a pregnant fiance at home. So as players start testing positive, I would assume that maybe five to 10 players in the league might decide to opt out halfway through if, if they can. Yeah. And especially like, like you're saying, Courtney, with like all the interruptions that we've, with, that we've had, 
Um, you know, and here's the other thing, part of it too, you look around at the, at the early part of the season, we've, we've seen this a lot in Denver is that, you know, a lot of players are, are suffering significant, serious injuries. And that was one of the concerns the NFLPA had coming into this was without this proper ramp up period, um, we're, we're really concerned about these soft tissue injuries. And, and here in Denver, we've seen a ton of it. And so when, when I looked at the Titans, you know, you say, yes, they, they broke the rules. They were told not to gather. But at the same time, they're seeing like already with this, you know, preparation we have now, all of we're seeing our, you know, brotherhood here. Oh, I just dropped my mic. We're seeing our brotherhood here suffer a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, I, for, for some of these guys, the threat of losing a season or losing, you know, a season and a half due to a serious injury is yeah. more threatening to them than the coronavirus. And so you have these like kind of two competing ideas that, that they're having to, to balance out. And it's just a, it's just a tough balance. Yeah, a lot of moving variables and and things that were un unintended consequences of everything. Obviously, they were trying to be safe by not having preseason games. But then in turn, because of not having that ramp up, we are seeing a significant amount of injuries and a lot to key players, which kind of makes it even more intense. Um, let's, let's talk about this matchup that hopefully will be played <laughs> on Monday, barring any uh, – barring no more positive tests. But um, – Obviously, Cam Newton, not having him in the game, I think that the Broncos would really, really like to see him, you know, not be able to clear the protocols. But uh, how is it preparing for a quarterback that you don't know who you're facing? Is it going to be Cam? Is it going to be Brian Hoyer? Is it going to be Jared Stidham? How, how does a team prepare like that? Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting question. One we've certainly asked Vic Fangio. And, and he said that, look, every week we, we have this sort of um, – you know, breakout session in which we talk about who the backup quarterback is and, and, and kind of let people know, let, let our team know about their certain differences or, or, or you know, little skill, uh, strengths or weaknesses that, that they might have and how the game plan might change a little bit if that backup were to come in. But when you're talking about Cam Newton to one of these other two guys, uh, it's just such a wide gulf in terms of, A, I mean, the talent, yes, but also just the way that the Patriots operate with either of those two guys. So it is it is a significant challenge. Um, and, and so I, I do wonder if some of the frustration that we saw expressed on social media by some of the Broncos players is subconsciously this thought of, man, maybe this extra day is really going to help him get back and, and play. And of course, you know, the, the virus doesn't care that they schedule the game. It's what it, 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 that's all dependent upon how it, how it goes through him and whether he, he has those two negative tests. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a challenge because it's such a different um, two different guys. So maybe that is one area where the, the extra day does help to, to get in some more game planning about, Hey, if he plays, it's going to be different, but even within Cam himself, the Patriots have played it different ways. You know, he had the opener against Miami in which he rushed, I believe it was 15 times. Um, and, and then you had the game, the game that he played last week before, uh, before he had COVID uh, where he was, you know, dropping back in the pocket most of the game. So uh, it, it's a tough, tough challenge to plan for him by himself and then to plan for potentially having someone else. It's, uh, it's certainly something they got their hands full with. And then Cam aside, you're not even just preparing for one other person. You kind of have to prepare for two after watching last Monday. How hard is it for that defense, for the Broncos defense, to have to prepare for two guys when you only have one game to go off of, which was last Monday? Yeah, I, I think that there there is a challenge there. I, I think that they would be um, – I mean, they're glad that they're preparing between, you know, between those two guys, right? Guys that they – 
the defense should theoretically be able to, um, you know, game plan around and, and be able to, to limit pretty well, I think. Obviously, Stidham, um, a little bit different than Hoyer, but I think they would feel comfortable sort of playing their, their base defense against either one. Um, I'll be really interested to see if, if it's one of those two guys and not Cam Newton, whether the Broncos bring the kind of blitzing that they did against the Jets. The Broncos going into that game through the first three weeks were uh, a team that brought extra pressure uh, as few as any, as little as any other team in the league. And then against the Jets, they dialed up blitzes about half, half the time and, and ended up getting six sacks and, and really created some, some stuff with their pressure. I, I, I think that if Stidham or Hoyer plays, I would expect that the Broncos really going to try to come after him, bring five and six pass rushers consistently, uh, and, that, and that'll be part of the game plan. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Broncos are dealing with their own little quarterback <laughs> question right now. Is, uh, is it going to be Brett Rippin again, or is Drew Locke healthy enough, that shoulder issue, uh, issue that he's been dealing with for a couple of weeks now? Uh, what's the situation there right now? Yeah, so that's one where I think you're going to have to see uh, Drew Locke participate in a full practice today would I think be sort of the cutoff line right this this Friday practice um well actually it would be it'd be tomorrow the Broncos have they shifted their their scheduling a little bit and they made uh Saturday their kind of Friday walkthrough so he would need to go kind of through that full big fan just said yesterday that if if Drew Locke wasn't ready for Sunday, if we had determined by the end of the week that he wouldn't be ready to play on Sunday, then we're not going to play him Monday. In other words, he's saying 24 hours difference is not going to change his overall plan with Drew Locke. I personally think we're not going to see Drew Locke. I, I think they're going to wait. They're going to hold off. It's his throwing shoulder. It's only been three weeks since he suffered that injury. And you got Miami at home the following week. And I just think that's kind of a softer landing spot for his return than going up against a, a Bill Belichick defense in your first, in your first game back. So I do expect that we'll probably see Brett Rippon again. Uh, but it's just funny. We're, we're talking about potentially five different quarterbacks in this game who could play. It's, it's a little bit of a, a quarterback, uh, you know, spinning carousel for sure. Well, even with all that, that quarterback mess, the Pats are still 11-point favorites for this one as of Thursday. So for you, what do you think the Broncos have to do to take them down? Yeah, they're, they're going to have to play really clean football, which is something they haven't done. They threw three interceptions, Brett Rippon did. Even though he looked really good, I thought, for the most part in his start, you, you can overcome three interceptions against the Jets, and that's probably about it. Um, you're not going to overcome three interceptions on the road against the Patriots, just not going to happen. And they also haven't forced turnovers. The Broncos only two forced turnovers through four games this year, which is actually two more than they had through four games last year, uh, incredibly enough. Uh, so that's been an issue for them. They, they have to, they have to be at the very worst, even with this turnover battle. And then they got to get their run game going. They should have Philip Lindsay back. He, he was out in the first half of the game, the season opener against Tennessee, right at the end of the second quarter, he, he injured his toe, hasn't played since. Melvin Gordon's been good, not great. And so I think for them to have that other element with Lindsey in there to, to kind of spice up the run game a little bit, to, to be a little bit more uh, deceptive offensively, hopefully that will help too. But yeah, they're just going to have to play really clean football. Rippon's going to have to take care of the ball better than he did against the Jets. I've always been a fan of, of Philip Lindsey with him being, you know, a Colorado kid. Uh, going undrafted, you know, making his way. And, and, you know, his rookie year, he just blew up. And people couldn't believe that he, he didn't get picked up. So always been a big fan of him. But it will be interesting to see if he's able to get in the game and how much he's splitting reps with, with Melvin Gordon. 
Uh, real quick before we, we let you go, I, I, we started doing this thing, the game, Kiss, Mary Kill. Are you, are you familiar with that, Nick? <laughs> I think I've, yes, I think I've heard about that. Okay, yeah. okay, cool. So you're, I, I'm, I'm going to throw three names at you. You're going to pick who you're going to kiss, who you're going to marry, who you're going to kill. So um, there's two topics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the first one, then I'll pass the other one off to Courtney. Um, all right, so Denver, after Super Bowl 50, after Peyton Manning, after the sheriff disappeared, they went through this period where they just could not get a good quarterback, and it was just quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, and they all really struggled. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, finally, when Drew Locke came around, they were like, we might actually have a quarterback. Uh, so I'm going to throw these three names at you. Joe Flacco. Case Keenum, Paxton Lynch, go. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I think, I think Mary Case Keenum, uh, just, you know, just a solid fun guy, um, I guess. Uh, you pick him over the Super Bowl champion? <laughs> fun guy. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Solid fun guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, kiss Joe Flacco, I guess. I mean, um, this is a a really awkward and weird question that I don't really know fully how to tackle, but um, I I guess kill to me uh, would be eliminate off of my team and ability to play. And so that would certainly be Paxton Lynch. (laughs) You're like for legal, for legal reasons, I need to preface this. Yes. I, I, yeah, I I need to say, I, I, when I cover basketball, they would call you get three stops in a row on defense and that's called a kill. So that you always have to, uh, have to specify what that means well I'm glad you bring up basketball because the second one is of course because of tonight's game five uh so we're gonna take you out of Denver a little bit if that's okay with you of course all right so Jimmy Butler LeBron James Tyler Hero who do you see winning tonight but we still want you to uh marry kiss kill uh Butler LeBron and Tyler Hero yes Mm -hmm. um you know, I, I think that the, I, I think the Lakers will win. I, I think that it's just there's got to be everybody just wants to get out of out of the damn bubble at this point, <laughs> and so I think they're just going to finish the job. I, I don't I don't doubt Jimmy Butler, um, who would be certainly the one um, that I would kill because if you don't, he's just going to keep coming at you. And um, <laughs> and then, gosh, LeBron. You know, married good marriage is about stability and consistency and, and communication. He's got consistency. Yeah, he's got we got consistency there. So so that uh, that's him, and then that obviously leaves Tyler Hero in the other category, which again, real weird. <laughs> You're gonna kiss kiss the new guy, the, the, the guy that's on the rise that um, really got a lot of swag. That is yeah, one you know, swaggy player. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> Well, thank you for playing this uh, yeah. game. Yeah, kiss, marry, kill. <laughs> was was a delight. Yeah, He's like, so, never uh, asked me back. <laughs> so much stuff going on. Um, obviously, with this game coming up, a lot of our attention, your attention, is going to be on that. I'm hoping everything still goes on as planned, and and no more positive results, and we can have a, a healthy and a good game. Nick Kautzmeier of the Athletic joining us today. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. All right, Sealy, now we are going to switch gears a little bit here. Obviously, we talked on the top about a lot of things going on in the NHL, which brings in our good friend, content producer for Nesson.com and co-host of the Nesson Bruins podcast. If you don't listen to that, go listen to it right now. Logan Mullen, who's going to talk all things Bruins draft and free agency. Logan, thanks so much for joining us. 
thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be with fellow Nesson people for the first time in a long time. I know, it's been way too long. I, yeah. I miss a lot of people in, in the office and hoping that as the months go by, maybe we can all get back together as one, just one happy yeah. family. A yeah. little bit more quiet in my apartment than it is in the office. But I gotta, I gotta say, your exposed brick, if you, if you can't see this because this is a podcast, but Logan is sitting in front of an exposed brick wall, which tells me that his apartment is very classy. Yeah, something like that. It's it's the only exposed brick wall in here, and it's right in the bedroom. So this is the most sound secure place in the apartment instead of the living room. So I will say, I, this wall has gotten rave reviews since Zoom has become more of a thing, and I've been hanging out here more often. It, it's aesthetically pleasing, and it's functional, and that's what we like here. Yeah, and the, uh, the natural light's fantastic, too. This is about yes, as good as it's I will ever been. So. Perfectly. Um, let's jump into this, uh, five picks for, they had five picks. They traded one away. Um, so they ended up getting four in the draft going defenseman forward, defenseman forward. Overall, how would you grade the Bruins? So I'm giving it a solid B minus. And that's partially because we don't really know what any of these guys are going to be just yet. Like it, they're all doing the juniors to NCAA route. So the absolute earliest we would probably see any of these guys is three or four years down the road. Like it'll be a minute. Um, But the approach that they seem to take was picking up guys who are pretty raw, but possess at least one specific skill that they would really harp on in their development to try and make that be their kind of calling card if they were to reach the NHL. Um, So a lot of intelligent guys, a lot of guys who have been praised for their hockey IQ, but it does seem like there are a few, especially the second round pick Mason Lorai that they reached a little bit for a little bit for, but if you look a little bit deeper and you read some of the draft analysis, even if it does look like they reached on some guys, you can see that a lot of them are just more high upside, lower floor type guys. Well, let's talk about needs. What needs did the Bruins kind of address and fulfill throughout this draft? Well, for one, with the Mason Langenbrunner pick, they did get a right shot defenseman. They have basically none of those in the system right now, especially after trading Axel Anderson and the David Backus, Andre Kasha swap. Um, so the only right shot prospect that they have that's even on a pro contract right now is Victor Berglund, and he's about to go into his first year with Providence. So Stacking the system with those guys helps a little bit more, especially because you can deal with a position of depth um, in in trade talks. But that was one area of need. And then the other thing that I think that they did do is, even though some of these guys are still a little thin, they did get size. Uh, The smallest of their four picks is six feet tall, and that's Trevor Kuntar. And he is still over 200 pounds. So he's a solid kid himself. But everyone else are these 18, 19-year-olds who are six foot two. Um, so one of the things that is often a big criticism of the Bruins lately is that they're not strong enough. They're not big enough. Um, they just picked up four guys who are solid kids in terms of their stature. Uh, the, out of these four, obviously they're different. They have some different skill sets, pros and cons, but which one are you most excited about? It probably would be Mason Lori, the second round pick. Um, and, and that's because all the everything I've seen since they chose him, all the scouts and analysts say that even though they might have reached a little bit, his ceiling is through the roof. He was already passed up in one draft year, and this is the first year he showed up on the NHL central scouting list. But he was the second highest point scoring defenseman in the USHL last year. 
Uh, again, with the size, he is six foot two. He's going to a good program in Wisconsin. He has another year before he even gets into college. And he's the son of a coach, too. Um, so he's got a lot of the quote-unquote hockey genes, the hockey IQ stuff that you ideally look for in those guys. And he's been praised for his intellect and his ability to play with a little bit of edge and his compete. Um, so I think that he probably offers – the most upside, especially because of his ability to score his size. And I think that because he is so far off, he has plenty of time to fill out and develop a little bit more. Pretty raw, but he's got the baseline skill set you're looking for. Yeah, Wisconsin, um, with Tony Granato leading that program, I actually covered Wisconsin for two years, and he's done a phenomenal job there with with the Badgers. So that's definitely a good program to go to Mm hockey-wise. Every time that the draft comes up, guys, it's like – I just feel older and older as the years come on because those kids are staying the same age, but my age keeps increasing. So uh, it's upsetting. Tough, tough every time we talk age there, and you had to you had to throw that in, Logan. You yeah, I'm like, oh, he's he's old for his draft year, 19. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, unbelievable. That's the world of hockey. These are like yeah. babies, and oh. they're sitting. They're they're going to make millions of dollars, and they're on the pro stage, and I'm sitting here like, what was I doing at 19? Probably things that are not safe to share on this podcast, but <laughs> and not yeah. making not making twenty dollars, never mind millions of dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right, so you just talked about upside with the biggest upside, but under the radar pick, like I love to talk about guys that you're like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe, but Logan knows his stuff, so I want to hear from Logan's mouth who he thinks will kind of be a uh, a dark horse. That will surprise us. Yeah, give us the hot well, take. I, I appreciate the compliment. I, I would say probably Trevor Kuntar, the uh, guy that they took in the third round. He's at BC right now. Go uh, has showed really good scoring. Yeah, go <laughs> Eagles. Uh, has showed really good <laughs> scoring ability uh, in juniors and at a younger age. And he's just he's a really solid kid that has been praised for his ability to throw his weight around. And he seems like with a little bit of time, a little bit of Uh, a few years under Jerry York's direction that he could probably get in a place where he does have the right mental makeup, if nothing else, to be ready to play professionally. And I think also he, you get back to the baseline skills. Uh, You know, you've seen the scoring. He's a good, solid two-way forward. Um, So I think that in terms of guys who might not become stars in the NHL, he would at least be the type of guy that I could see having a, a stable, maybe like bottom six forward type NHL career, where if I had to put money on any of the four actually making the NHL, it would probably be him. Right. Um, so with the draft, it, it seemingly took forever, especially that second round. It took I think it was really like long. Two, yeah, it was incredibody long. I, I know that they put all their energy and an effort into the bubble and then it just seems like they were like all right let's just get this draft over with because we're exhausted um let's talk free agency because that literally is opening up here in an hour um mm-hmm. at the time of recording this so gut feeling first on tory krug so tory krug uh, if you asked me 24 hours ago i would have said like 99 certain he's gone i do actually think that there's maybe like a 20 percent chance he comes back Um, but you know, he's been linked to the Red Wings because of the home connection that they have the cap space. I don't think that's happening because I do genuinely believe that he wants to go somewhere that he can win. And I mean, Celia, you're from Denver. I think the Colorado Avalanche are probably the biggest team to watch with all the top free agents. I think that they'll get one of Alex Petrangelo, Tori Krug, or Taylor Hall. 
just because they're ready to win now and they have the cap space. So um, I think Colorado's a team to look out for with Krug. And I also think Columbus, after the way that they have shed cap space yeah. the last few days, could be a fit as well. But my guess, and this is purely conjecture, is I think that they made that final offer to Tory Krug and that there's a good enough relationship there that he'll go and test the market and possibly give the Bruins an opportunity to match it. Um, I, I do think in an ideal world, he would want to stay here. That's just the impression that I've gotten. Um, but he's got to go where the money is and he's not taking a short term deal, nor should he. Um, and so I would say it's more likely than not, he's gone. I would guess Colorado or Columbus, but I'm not 100% closing the door on him coming back. Cause we just don't know what the market's going to look like. Yeah. He, he's just a hot name right now. And, and he says that he wants to go and get his money. He wants to go get in, get paid and he can't really fault a guy no. for doing that in, in his career. Not at all. And if we're on the topic, we got to talk about the big guys today. Now, Chara, for you, what's your gut feeling? I think he's back. I, I think we're overthinking this a little bit um, because the last few years he has taken those one-year deals in like March. It's always right around his birthday. And mm -hmm. obviously when March rolled around this year, nobody knew what the future of the NHL was going to look like. My guess here is that Don Sweeney probably has a contract drawn up for Zdeno Chara right now. And all that they have to figure out is what's going to be in bonuses and what's going to be part of the actual cap hit. And they're going to figure out what they can do over the next couple of days. And then they'll find a way to shoehorn him in under the cap. But I, I would say Zdeno Chara is more likely to retire than play anywhere else. Um, and I don't think he's retiring. So I think that we might be overthinking it a little bit, but it, it's just a different time than the last couple of years of that. So I think he's back. And another person that's been talked about a lot over the last couple of days, just coming out and opening up to Grask. Um, when he left the bubble, it obviously upset a lot of people. The team was very open about backing him. Um, his contract situation is a little bit different. He doesn't have, you know, the trade. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? The right trade now? protection. Trade protections. Thank there you. And that obviously will open up here um, in an hour. But, you know, he says he wants to stay here. He, he says he's committed to it. Um, zero chance of him not playing for the Bruins. What's, what's your thoughts? On I'd say it's draft? probably close to that. I would say incredibly unlikely that he gets traded because it's, it's a very counterproductive move if you think about it, right? Like we saw that Yaroslav Halak, we know what he is as an NHL full-time starter. And the Bruins just don't have – NHL ready goaltending prospects right now to be able to comfortably roll with a prospect in Halak as their goalie tandem. I know it's a pretty robust market of guys right now, but if the Bruins are still intent on capitalizing on their window of opportunity to win right now, trading Tuka Rask, who was a Vezina finalist this year, is almost in no way going to make you better. Um, so I, it doesn't seem like it would be a shrewd business decision in any stretch of the imagination to try and move him I, I was never completely sold that they were considering that anyways I think they were doing due diligence to see what the market was but it, it would in my eyes be an incredibly counterproductive move and I think that they know that so I'd be very surprised if they traded him there's so many goalies that are gonna be open yeah it's, it's just a goalie market yeah it's it's nuts and I think that 
the Bruins have kind of been trendsetters in that regard. When you look at Halak and a lot of teams are starting to play their goalies a little bit more evenly. So those guys like Yaro Halak and Anton Hudobin and Malcolm Subban, like teams are willing to pay a little bit more for those guys now because you'd ideally like to play both of your goalies somewhere in the range of 40, 41 games. Um, and in order to do that, you have to pay money for it. So it's, there's a reason a lot of these guys are, uh, free agents right now, but a lot of them are going to get scooped up and probably to better deals than they otherwise would have three, four years ago. When you look elsewhere for free agency, who do you think that the Bruins should be looking at? Uh, I have a few names on my list. I think one, if Tory Krug leaves, they should look at Eric Gustafson, who played for the Blackhawks for a while. Uh, he got traded to the uh, Calgary Flames at the trade deadline. Solid point scoring defenseman he was in the top tier of the league in terms of points for defensemen a couple of years ago on a pretty bad Chicago Blackhawks team um, but that that's proven to be more the exception than the rule at this point um, so I think in terms of guys that will come in a lot cheaper than Tory Krug but also have the ability to run a power play um, and, and score from the blue line Gustafson would be a name to look at um, Andreas Athanasiu uh, played for the Oilers most recently, but spent most of his career with the Detroit Red Wings. Really bad situation there, but he, uh, two years ago, he had 30 goals. Uh, big guy who's a bit of a defensive liability, but he's fast and he's a creative offensive player. Uh, he, got a, he was a restricted free agent, but the Oilers don't have the cap space to re-sign him. So he uh, was a non-qualifying offer guy. So I don't know what kind of market there would be for him but I think he would be another important guy. And then if they're going to swing a little bit bigger, I, I don't think they're going to do like the Taylor Hall, Mike Hoffman route, but I would be interested to see if they go after Evgeny Dodonov, the former uh, Florida Panthers winger. He's got one of the better wrist shots in the NHL, played top line minutes for a very good offensive team in Florida the last few years. And he will probably come cheaper than the Halls, Hoffmans, guys like that. So I think if they're looking for a guy that they could comfortably put in the top six, it would probably be. Are you expecting a lot of moves or are you expecting the Bruins to kind of lay a little low? I, my guess would be lay a little low, actually. Um, I, I know that they're intent on moving, making moves or changing things somehow, but I just, the cap space that they're going to clear if Tory Krug leaves, I don't get why they would tie themselves to this massive contract, like Oliver Ekman Larson, for example. I don't know what would compel them to do that. So I think that they have the right pieces right now. So I think Don Sweeney knows that, and he's not going to handcuff himself to a bad contract just for the sake of signing someone and saying, we're going to mix things up. Um, the highest I could see him going with a, a guy is maybe like a Tyler Toffoli type who could get – six maybe six and a half million um but i think we'll see a few moves but probably nothing huge all right well logan it's always so great to talk to you like i said if you want to hear more of what you just heard go to the nesson bruins podcast logan is always holding it down there he also will probably throw in a few reality show um that's true because wait, uh, wait, like, what reality show are you on right now? Well, none right now because the the Bachelorette's a few days away. That's this Tuesday, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically just yeah, it, it's basically just been killing a little bit of time until that comes back around. That's how <laughs> Logan and I first really connected. Wow. Our, our affinity for Bachelor Nation. Be on this season, yeah. So, so like every every Tuesday, it's like, do you watch last night? Like. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> My, my, uh, a buddy I worked with is going to be on this season. Ooh. Oh, no kidding. 
Yeah, yeah. He's Garrett not the one Flowers. who ends up with, with Flair. I worked with him in my first market um, in Tallahassee when I was a producer. And so, and he was a fantastic beat reporter. And then he moved to LA and then he disappeared for like a month <laughs> or two off social media and then pops back up. And, it, and it's a picture of him with Claire. And I was like, what? He's oh. not the one who ends up with Claire like three weeks in, right? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't want to ask him. I don't want to bug him. He's getting blown up right now, probably. But I had no idea. And I just like saw it. I was like, I worked with that guy. <laughs> I, one of my friends went on a date with the guy who ends up with Claire. So. Oh. Yeah, lots of scoops there. I'm, oh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm so confused because I'm watching the promos and it starts with Claire. Then all of a sudden it's like Tasha. I'm like, wait, what happened? Wait, like, what, what did happened? I miss? <laughs> so. Yeah. It's and it be stinks because we're kind of twist ever. I feel like people are wanting the Bachelorette season to just happen so we can get to Matt James. Yeah. And uh, things were really Wake Forest uh, football player, sports <laughs> connection there. So expect a lot of news hits about. Well, uh, the last time they had a, a football player on The Bachelor or as The Bachelor, it ended really well. So. <laughs> it's, 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 it's former football players and it's pageant queens. If you, if, yeah. if, if you can check one of those two boxes, you're, you're probably going to get yeah. on the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, Logan, always great. Uh, we maybe have to start a Bachelor, Bachelorette podcast. No kidding. Say. Soon. <laughs> We've got the personnel. <laughs> <laughs> Logan, thank you. So a lot to talk about on this Friday. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that everything is good to go for Monday with the Patriots and the Broncos game. That's 5 o'clock kickoff from Gillette. Um, you know, you're hoping that guys like Cam and Stefan can get healthy again, maybe produce two negative tests, get back on the field, help that 11-point spread become a little bit bigger. I'll be interested to see, like, obviously he needs two negative tests yes. within 24 hours or 24 hours in between the two tests. But because it's a home game, they don't need to travel. So can he take a test Monday morning and suit up Monday night? I would assume that he's taking tests every single day, just waiting for, I guess – the viral load in his system to drop enough where it doesn't come up. Yeah. Um, so I'm just hoping that that's the case because I know that's not what the Broncos want. They do not want to face Cam Newton at all. Um, I think having Stefan Gilmore would be a good thing, but I don't necessarily think that they're strapped. I think, you know, defensively they're set. They have guys, JC Jackson, that can step in. Uh, Devin McCourty, they'll be fine uh, in their secondary. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping for Cam and for Patriots fans that he can get back onto the field for that Monday night kick. Um, and then the Bruins, you know, it, such a weird draft, such a weird year in general. Um, four guys, uh, big guys like Logan was saying, so that's good stuff that they need. Um, it'll be interesting to ha see what happens with guys like Zidane Chara, who I think will be back, and Tory Krug, because I, he's going to be such a big loss, but I understand if he leaves. Absolutely. I actually, I played in a golf tournament yesterday. It was Sean Thornton's golf tournament. Oh, you were at Sean Thornton's golf tournament. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. So I played in, it played, it was awesome. Um, but uh, Matt Grizzlick played in it as did Tuka Rask. So he was there. Such nice guys. And I think anybody who doesn't live in Boston, but is a Boston sports fan and, and doesn't get the opportunity to see these guys out, even if you do live in Boston and you've never met one of them, they're such great guys like we are so lucky that we get to cover not just great athletes but great people um and so it was an awesome day and i just think 
you know, we never know what's going on in, in people's lives. So with Tuca, I think he had people supporting him, but he also had a lot of hate on social media. And I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that hate. And I think people need to take a step back and realize like he's way more than a, than a goalie. Yeah, so, way, um, way more than an athlete, you know, they're a human being first and foremost. Absolutely. But great day. Great guys. Um, I was actually surprised when I walked in and I, and I saw him because I, I felt like he kind of fell off the face of the earth once he <laughs> left. Um, obviously he did talk on Greg Hill, but uh, you know, just a crazy world we're living in. And it's nice to have some little sliver of normalcy and to see that these guys are, are taking care of themselves. They're not just physically, but mentally. And yeah. um, so they were in good spirits. That's all yeah, I can nothing, say about Nothing can, can make you feel better than getting in a round of golf. Even if you play poorly and you lose 10 balls and you break your driver, you know, just having a beer, being outside, enjoying the beautiful weather and just being with, with a lot of good people. Um, I, I golf, did think golf is such a great game. <laughs> I did think, imagine being a foursome and being told, yeah, you could play with macros like Tukarask or Courtney Cox, and then you get stuck with me. They must have been such a letdown for, for 18 holes. I felt so bad for my group, but they were great guys. Oh, no. Come on. I would pick you oh, out of those you. three. I'd thank pick you. you. It's like, that's my girl. That's my teammate. Of course <laughs> I'm going to pick her. Whatever, Tuka. <laughs> go, make, go make your millions, man. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Courtney Cox, I really appreciate you stepping in for, for Emerson as he is golfing today. Um, but it, it was a fun one. We'll have you on again soon. Uh, but we're going to wrap this up, everybody. For uh, Courtney, I'm Celine Godwin. This is the After Hours Podcast presented by People's United Bank. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone.